0: This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 304, and the quote of the day is from Napoleon Hill, who said, start going the extra mile, and opportunity will follow you. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Rafini here. Session 304 of the podcast. Hope everybody's doing well. Before we get into it, I'm going to tell you something cool happening right now from Dream Symbols from September 17th to October 1st they are having part of their symbol tasting tour, the dream symbol tasting tour happening at the drum loft in Minneapolis, Minnesota, September 17th, to October 1st. What that is, they bring a ton of their symbols out to a certain location. They let you try them out. They let you play them. You can purchase them. Obviously uh, they're there for, you know, for a couple weeks and you can ask questions about them. You can hear all of the different lines of symbols and then they take them and they move them to the next place. So it's sort of a traveling symbol roadshow. And that with the one that's happening now, September 17th, October 1st is at the Drum Loft in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So check that out. And you can also go to dreamsymbols.com for more info. Also, big news on the DR front we just got the Daniel Glass show that's happening on Wednesday. So if you haven't heard of that yet, Daniel Glass, world renowned player, a good buddy of mine, is doing a show on Drummer's Resource every Wednesday. So you can check that out. It's right here in the Drummer's Resource stream, so you don't have to subscribe to anything new or anything like that. Just pull it up wherever you listen to your podcast. Speaking of subscribing, you should head over to Drummer's Resource and sign up for the mailing list. You can do it. It's 100% free, obviously, but you also get a copy of my ebook, Stick Control Variation. So it's 11 creative exercises to help you with your groove, your speed, your independence, your chops, all that fun stuff. And coincidentally, the guy who I have on today, Mike Windish, is the guy who wrote that book, not wrote the book, but uh, put it together for me because I don't know how to use Sibelius or or uh, what's the other notating device? I forget what it's, Finale. I don't know how to use any of those. So he was kind enough to put that together for me. So uh, let's get into this conversation. Let me tell you a little bit about Mike Windish. Mike and I are from the same town. We're, we we didn't grow up together. He He's from Harrisburg. I'm from outside of, of Philadelphia as well. And... But we we grew up together in terms of playing together in the same town in Westchester, PA. After he graduated college, and when I was there, so we we came out together. We've uh, we've known you know played in the same bands. We've all we've known each other for a while. I've known Mike for a very long time. He's a great player, and this conversation is really. Cool to me because, one, he he has a ton of experience with playing with in in a ton of different settings. And he's played with Chubby Checker. He was his tour manager. We talk about all that. And now he does a lot of stuff with cruise ships and putting on shows and really gives you a good sense of a lot of things that you can do as a drummer, as a percussionist, as a performer, as a producer. And that doesn't necessarily have to be touring with the biggest band in the world. It doesn't necessarily have to be getting this big gig which he got I mean he did that you know so he's he's worked in a bunch of different departments I'm going to call them or a a bunch of different areas of the music business and is still loving it still rocking and rolling to this day doesn't play as much as he used to as we talk about in this conversation but just a great insight as to the all of the other things that you can do uh, if you really want to either make this a career or if you just want to have some more gigging opportunities or more playing opportunities and he talks about hard work he talks about how he landed all of these things and we talk about the you know, the fact that the harder you work the luckier you get and he goes into all that and, and talks about his work ethic and just a ton of great insight from him and again I've known him for so long so it's such an honor and a pleasure to have him on the show so without further ado let's get into it with my man mike Windish. mike what's up buddy hey nick how are you i'm well i'm well thanks for thanks for doing this is crazy i don't think i've had i don't think i've any had anyone on the show one from my hometown but two who i've like known for years you know like i've met people through the podcast and everything and had them on the show but i mean like uh, you, you know, you and I kind of, we came up together in the same scene. So this is really cool to do this.
1: No, totally. Yeah. And I've, I've kind of watched from, you know, close and afar to see your success with, you know, Drummer's Resource and all the different people you talk to. And I, like I've told you many times, maybe in passing, I, I, I love that this is a, an inspiring kind of forum for other people who came up maybe like we did or, or differently. Um, cause drumming, you know, was my first love. So
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, well, thank you, man. I that's appreciate
1: awesome. it. I appreciate it.
0: Oh and by the way for anyone listening who has da- ever downloaded the um, the ebook stick control variations Mike is the guy who put that whole entire thing together a while back so Mike thank you for that I appreciate it uh, yeah, I still no problem. Uh, still have that book like every you know it's you still get it if you sign up for the email list so it's still it's still making the rounds and there are you know thousands and thousands of people who have downloaded that that thing so
1: Oh that's awesome great yeah, so
0: I would not have been able to do that because I don't know how to use Finale.
1: So sure, sure, yeah. I, I dusted off my old uh, my old laptop that has Sibelius on it because I haven't done that kind of work in a while either. So yeah. that's probably the the first and last time I've done it in the past five years. <laughs>
0: <So>. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. So thank you for yeah. that. And so anyone out there who has that ebook, uh, Mike's the dude who put it together. Uh, there are my exercises, and I just sent them to him, and I was a pain in the ass saying, "Can you do this? Can you change this? Can you move <laughs> this around?" And then finally. Uh, I, I got it done, but and I stopped bugging
1: you. But thank you for that. No, yeah, it was a blast. I love that stuff. So I want to, I,
0: you know, with everybody on the podcast, I, I build a little bit of context, talk about where they came from. Uh, it's really, to me, the stuff that you do now is really interesting. So you were playing with Chubby Checker for years, you were the MD for Chubby Checker. You do. You know theme parks, and you you run that whole entire operation of staffing all of those. You have you staff cruise ships with uh with musicians and things like that. All all of this is really cool to me because I think there are so many ways that you can make a living in music and playing, whether it be playing, whether it be helping people, you know, play. So for me, like with Drummers Resource, you you were saying, you know, that that you're not playing as much as you used to and i'm the same way my i'm so focused on drummer's resource that i've been cutting back on on gigs significantly um so i think this is really important for the listeners because i want to offer up all of these different options of saying hey you don't just have to play a gig every friday and saturday night for to make money and that's the only way that you can do it or getting a touring gig so before we get into all that, let's let's backtrack a little bit and talk about how you got into playing in the first place and how like all of this has come about.
1: Sure. Yeah, and and even to add to that, um, you know, the past 15 years or 4 15 years of my, you know, life, I was playing all the time, full-time. Right. Right. Uh and with when I was with Chubby, I was with him for 6 years, so we were touring probably 120 dates of travel, but you know, maybe 50 60 dates a year of playing Mm -hmm. on top of the other projects. So I kind of lived a life of playing a lot. So I feel, I do feel blessed to have done a little bit of everything. I was a full-time educator and teacher for uh, quite some time, about five years that dovetailed into touring. And I sort of skipped a few steps. I didn't, I didn't go on the van tours and the, you know, small vehicle, you know, you know, East coast or small regional tours. I went right to touring the, the U S and the world with chubby So I sort of like skipped a few steps, but also also owned my own business. So I kind of now have stepped through many different um, jobs and wore a lot of hats that are part of music industry. Where I don't really have a good blueprint either to to describe to others, (laughs) but I do have. I learned a wealth of um, you know uh, experience doing all these things. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I started like anyone. I I think um, for me, it wasn't a question of what instrument am I going to play or will I play. I just always since I can remember, wanted to play drums and knew I was going to play drums. So it was not a question of when, you know, what can I play or, hey, can I join the band? It was always, hey, mom and dad, when am I going to start drumming? Like, when? When can that happen? And I actually I was telling someone else a story recently that I kind of just went through the very formal in in elementary school. You start in fourth grade doing drum set on a pad or reading out of a book or having a teacher in school. And then maybe by sixth grade, you start on drum set. Mm -hmm. And that was until I saw, who now is a really good friend of mine, Gabe Stasnick, um, when he was in kindergarten and I was in sixth grade, and I didn't even start the drum set. This kid was tearing it up in our our local church. And I was like, what the hell? This little kindergarten kid is playing drum beats, (laughs) and I'm still, you know, playing, alternating my hands on a pad and learning rudiments. And I realized actually at that moment that it doesn't matter, you know, where, where you start or how you start. So I I right away dove into everything. And eventually I started, uh, Gabe Gabe was one of the guys who um, had actually recently played with Chubby, uh, you know, in my absence. Mm -hmm. And he he plays for the Air Force Band um, and has done a lot of great things, even for my company. He's written a lot of music. Um, And actually at that time for me, too, was when I learned about the community of drummers and how it's a camaraderie. Because I would notice in my formal training how other instrumentalists were so... um, uh, competitive, mm-hmm. and or you know, kind of like a cutting room at all times. Who can play higher, faster? Uh, while I was always just buddies with the the best drummers I could find, and they're all so welcoming. So, and actually, that brings back to this forum. I, I one thing I've enjoyed about this is hearing all these great drummers that can share their stories. So, not to cut my I've story, mentioned that a lot. I've yeah, mentioned that,
0: that, like you. There's no, there's no other instrument that people sit around and like share ideas and pump the other person up and help that, you know, every, I feel like drummers, I mean, by and large, you know, there's always the one or two guys, but by and large, drummers are a community and there's, there's not a ton of competition. There's, it's not like, you know, I hate to say it, but like, it's not like guitar players and bass players, especially guitar players, guitar players are like, they don't want, they don't want anyone to steal their licks or anything. But drummer's are like, oh, here's how I do that thing. I'll show you exactly how I do it.
1: Yeah. And not even to get on a side note, you can't hide what a drummer is doing. It's the most tangible instrument on stage. Right. So, you know, right or wrong, anyone can tell if a drummer is great or bad. That's that's a blanket statement. But it's it's less forgiving, you know, mm-hmm. to to make something um, play something a little off center or to make a mistake. And or if you're driving the band, everyone can feel that. Whereas um, so it's just because it's so I don't want to say it's simple, but it's so primal and everyone gets it on that primal level. So I, I feel like it's, it, you're, you're sitting on a high, high, uh, uh, I don't know what the word is, but, um, the stakes are higher and it's simpler to the listener to tell what's happening. It's just more tangible. Right. Um, so I, 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 I feel like everyone, I don't know why they're just, they're out in the open and they share so much. And, you know, it's such a visual thing, by the way, that's why, you know, our generation probably learned a lot more with videos and, and everything. I know we didn't have the YouTube and, and all the different ways you can access it uh, in a split second. But we did have VHS videos and DVDs and, and ways to kind of see it and learn it very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I, I came up very standard at first. And um, oddly enough, my family's very musical. But my, I have two drummers in my families, and they're both my aunts uh, huh. on both sides of my family. My mom is from Vietnam. She has uh, one of nine brothers and sisters. And her, one of her sisters played drums. Um, and then my, my dad's sister also was a drummer. So both my aunts uh, were kind of an influence to me and my, my dad's um, sister, uh, BJ Mahar, she actually taught me when I was a kid. So I had multiple sources to learn both schooled and street smart drumming, um, meat and potatoes, and then also like just paper trained reading patafla and whatever they're called anymore. So right. um, so I, I, I came up really schooled. I went to a high school and, and was, it's all I wanted to do to the point where when I was g- going into college and all my friends who were in band or doing anything musically, I said, where are you going to school for music? And they'd say, I'm not going to school for music. I was heartbroken. I was surprised. And I was like, what are you kidding me? Like, what, who else is going to school for music? And no one was. And I was surprised by that. Um, and because I was so ignorant to think that everyone who loves doing this must be going on to study it. And they must be going on to a life of a music musician. Right. And, uh, so so uh, it just never, it was a no-brainer for me. I was always going to be a musician and uh, by a drummer by trade. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, nowadays, I mean, where drumming. Did, where did you go to school? I actually went to Westchester University. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so it's, it's in my backyard. I still live in the same area um, outside of Philadelphia and, and uh, continue to travel the world and do all of my work from here. It's not, not a big city. Um, hey, man, and I, we even I, have
0: a, I love it there. I cut my teeth there, man.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, there's of course great musicians who come through here, and you know the the college has a decent program, a very good program. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you're at an arm's length. I I love being close to New York, being close to Philly, DC. Um, You're just an arm's like a stone's throw away from all these great places. Yep. And Westchester also uh, has like everything you need. So I'm very happy where I am. But I've I've also been fortunate, like I said, I skipped a few steps, so I didn't really have to relocate to a major city. And cut my teeth trying to like learn that uh, you know the lingo or learn learn how to bring it up in, the, in a in a tougher city. I totally you know paid my dues, but I I did it basically on the road mm-hmm. with guys who've been doing this for centu- or centuries, no, for decades, <laughs> not, <laughs> not, not centuries, uh, thank God. But um, Yeah, so I. But
0: you were, I mean, whether just because you weren't touring in a van, I mean, you were, you were gigging a lot, though, you know, like you were playing, you were playing a lot and, and doing the do, and you played dive bars and shitty club dates and all that stuff like the rest of us.
1: Totally. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, and really like the, every gig, you treat every small beans gig like the big beans gig. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not even saying you have to cut your teeth in a big city. I actually don't think that at all. Although I do think some people can really use, that um pace you know they need that uh and and it makes total sense like to you know if you need to check off your list of things that can help you be successful you should be surrounded by those who are one better than you and two are out there doing it and of course they're out there in major cities and great clubs so i don't i don't knock either of them i i think you can do it from anywhere it's just it really has to do with you treating every gig like it's the big gig in the sky. Um, and every drummer I've talked to is like that. Every musician they they will treat the bar the dive bar to tw- 12 people like it's playing to 12,000 people. Of
0: course. One I 100%. I you know the the thing that I that I just thought about with you know getting pushed by other people. Like you said you don't have to be in New York or LA or Miami or Nashville or something like that, but I think there's a difference between being in like Sheboygan versus being in even Westchester, where where we were, were, there were a lot, I mean, still are a ton of great musicians in that town. And there was all of this friendly sort of camaraderie competition in that town. And I think that pushed all of us. You could go to Spence Cafe any night of the week and see some killer, killer musicians. And it would just create you or call make you want to elevate your game so i i agree with you that you at least have to be in an area that where people are pushing you and challenging you and forcing you to grow it doesn't have to be new york or la or something like that but if you're in a small town where there's only one club there that you know has a band on friday nights and that's it like maybe you need to get to a different area where there's at least more and better musicians to push you.
1: Yeah. I I think I and I always seeked outwardly. I I grew up in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. That's where I was raised and went to school. I went to school right in the city. And then uh, I went to a Catholic school. So we didn't have the most resources at the time. They I think have more now, but we um they got rid of the jazz band program when I was there, which what does that mean? It doesn't Uh, matter. At the time when again when I was young and thinking everything came from a schooled system. I was like devastated, but i I really always reached out i would i did a they have a thing called the Central Pennsylvania Friends of Jazz, and they had a youth program where you played with some of the best jazz players still today. These are guys who do come from New York, you know because again, they're very close, you know everything's an arm arm's length away. um so I feel like we're sort of a satellite uh, when whether I was in Harrisburg or Westchester or anywhere of all the northeast cities. I mean you know I, I'm as much northeast as anybody, whether mm-hmm. I'm central p a to you know, to uh, Philadelphia, to wherever, I just feel I'm very, very much in those areas all the time. And even as a kid, I was always traveling out to those places, because I always looked for something else. Uh, Even in in my college years, every summer, I would go to LA or I'd go to, I went to North Texas for a summer um, to study with Ed Sof. And and, um, so I really like uh, value what's out there and was always curious. Um, And I, I also think we all live in a bubble. So you have the danger of kind of Either thinking like the, of the world as a blur and thinking everything you're doing is the most important, uh, but also when you're traveling a lot, you can some tor- sometimes forget the roots and what's so great about home. Uh, I would travel all over the world. And I'd be taking pictures of an old church, and I'm like, man, I could just see an old church in Philly <laughs> or like the cobblestone and the history of the independence. You know, right. I ignore Philly because it's my backyard, mm-hmm. but it's so historic. So traveling really has kind of opened my mind to how great my upbringing and my roots have been. Um, So I think it works both ways. But I just you can't have just one or the other. I think you really need to have roots and you have to also um, and be proud of where you're from and what you came up with. And Mm -hmm. then um, also see what else is out there. So you realize you're you're nothing.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's true. The the idea of going to all these different places really sticks out to me. And because I think a lot of times we look at Are look at our careers and we're waiting for this huge, like big grandiose thing to happen. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I think we kind of look at life that way versus all of the tiny little things that are going to get you there. Like you said, I would go to LA. I would go, you know, I went to study with Ed So I would go here. I would go there. It's like this one little thing is probably not going to make this drastic change in your career, but this little thing and this thing and that thing and 18 other things that you did over the course of seven years now they start to shape you. Now they start to really push you forward. They give you a different perspective. They, you, you meet new people, you have different experiences and that starts to round you out as a, as a great player and starts to open up your eyes to, to new and different things.
1: Yeah. And and that's a hundred percent correct in my experience and opinion, because when you're in your twenties and I was thinking about this too, um, every decision is paralyzing, you know, in your, and not to say when you're in your 20s, you're not mature enough to make a good decision. But many times you're either so paralyzed that you just don't want to give, you know, acceptance to a tour or to um, playing with a certain band. You you just are so concerned about all the details. Mm -hmm. Um, And something happened to me in my 30s, maybe, you know, most people I know, actually, is you just get this quiet, cool, calm confidence, where you accept what happened based on those years of experience of making good and bad decisions and he realized every decision isn't it takes a long time to develop a relationship it takes a long time for those experiences to come to fruition Mm -hmm. so um that's tough because someone told me a a guy named dwight Heckelman, who used to work at berkeley we always do auditions at berkeley uh, college of music and he was he was the head at the time of this career development center and he we'd have him come and give clinics to our uh, and a speech to our musicians um And he would say, I forget what the number was, but he had a good formula of, you know, give it, I think it was five years, maybe three to five years. Mm -hmm. And it was just like the magic number is five or the magic number is three. I'm going to say five. If the magic number is five for you to really like come into your own as a performer or to realize what you can offer professionally, what you're worth, um, to see it out, see it through to get some sort of level of success, then you'll know. But so many people give up so soon. They give up within two years because they've been starving musicians or, or artists they they give up so quickly because of the failure and of all those different steps that throw them off and they don't they're not ready for mm-hmm. and um i'm not saying some stay in it too long but some at five years in a major music city and i've met a lot of them maybe it's nashville or it's new york or la they went there to seek something very specific and in five years, they've evolved so much that's really not their focus anymore. Right. Um, like a songwriter, for example, I know a lot of Nashville songwriters who've gone down, and after three to five years, they say, "Yeah, I came down here as a songwriter, but the Nashville scene's very dynamic. It isn't just about being one or two things. You know, mm-hmm. most people do three. Most of them are touring, studio, and songwriting. I mean, those three kind of the dichotomy of Nashville, and it's also evolving now. So it takes five years for anything to kind of reveal itself." And people either give up too soon because they're paralyzed and nervous, or um, they kind of stay in one focus that really maybe doesn't outlive the five years. Mm -hmm. Um, And I only say this because of uh, the wide range of musicians we've worked with, uh, that I've worked with, and also seen kind of either become complacent or give up too soon. Right. And not evolve with whatever's out there.
0: And they call all these towns five-year towns. You know, oh, you okay. moved to L.A. or you moved to Nashville or whatever. And also, I mean, to echo what you're saying about you have no idea where it's going to be in five years. So I started Drummer's Resource in October of 2011. And I was like, I just want to, you know, interview some drummers. And I think it would be really great. And I think other people would want to listen to these interviews. And so now we're what, five? Or no, I'm sorry. I started in 2013, not 2011. Oh, okay. Still. Um, Yeah, 2013. So we're almost at four years, and my career has taken a totally different trajectory, one that I would have never pursued or never even thought that I wanted to pursue. And now I'm sort of in this weird, like, music, media, and tech space that I love. I absolutely love it. And, like, I love it as much as I love playing drums and I would have never, and playing live, you know, and I never would have, I never would have thought, oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to like start a media company and start doing podcasting and start consulting with companies about media and things like that. I would have never, never in a million years would I have pursued that or thought that that's what I wanted to do. And now four years into it, I find out that I really love this and I, you know, who knows where I'm going to be in next year which will be five years you know
1: yeah and, and there's also no blueprint for that like you nope. have it's a it's a discovery of passion um led by passion and that's really tricky to tell people who have these kind of dreams the pie in the sky i, I don't mean to say that like it won't ever happen but that that one ser- singular dream you have everyone wants to hit that center of the target and sometimes they they either don't or it's really not what they end up doing in the fir- uh, in the long run and that's fine mm-hmm. um but it's, it's also like with a work ethic piece of it. And um, I think a lot of people too, that, that old, uh, what is it? It's like a formula of, um, sorry, timing and I don't know, a preparation. Oh, the, oh, the intersection
0: of, yeah, 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 preparation. Yeah, whatever and, that is. Preparation and
1: and, uh, and time people say timing, yeah. yeah. Um, I, 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 I hear that and I understand that to a degree. Be, but you know the one thing you can control is preparation and, and hard work. And so that then there's also the speech about 10,000 hours, you know, how Bill Gates or how uh, Mark Cuban or go on and on the Beatles, you know, took time off the road to really like craft their their songwriting and their their studio work. Um, there's something to be said for hard work. And I, I don't think you can always be uh, have that first break given to you. But then the longevity is the toughest part. Mm-hmm. The longevity in the business, for one. And the longevity, even in that singular gig, whatever that again, pie in the sky gig is, right. and it would be really like heartbreaking to finally get your dream gig and not really be prepared. And nothing prepares you like the life experience of touring and making the wrong and right decisions and mm-hmm. failure. So mm-hmm. it's really tough. I, I, I we have some performers who've gone on some really big names that um, that I, I think are doing really well, and others they it took them a long time to get there. And I had one one really good friend of mine, but she also. Um, uh, She's also young, you know, and she's played in a lot of groups and also directed a lot of our shows on ships. And she said, um, man, and she's getting a Broadway tour. I won't announce it. I'll let her announce it when it happens. But she's going to do a major Broadway tour. And she said, said, man, I've been waiting so long for this. And she's been in New York maybe a year and a half, two, and she grew up near New York. But uh, I said, for one, that's really cute. That's really sweet because there are people – who have been waiting all their lives for, for this. Like there's people, she's in her twenties, you know, like 26, I think mm-hmm. 24, 25, but there's people who've been, people have been doing that, you know, Broadway, um, grind, uh, for years for, you know, a long time. We're not like dancers on Broadway where we have, you know, that, that tight of a lifespan where once you're in your thirties, it might be tougher. Mm-hmm. Um, where, you know, drummers who play in pit orchestra, some of them like they're, they're lifers. They've been doing it for, for decades and yeah. they've been playing all the major shows they're, they're they're based on skill. They're hidden in the pit, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so the show she's going to do is going to be amazing. I think she'll be on stage. But she also likes. I, I thought it was really cute when she said, "I've been waiting so long for this." And <laughs> I said, "Well, no, you've been working very hard for this, and it's well deserved." But like, congrats to you because some people to to get a tour like that at 25 is remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's patience. It's really tough to to kind of um, to even tell some of the younger performers or musicians that. It's going to take some time, or it's going to take three to five years. I hated hearing that when I was younger. I've had people say, "Give it this long." When I started with Chubby, someone said, "Ah, give it ten gigs," and it took two or three years for me to feel like, "Man, I really know what this is now." Because right. um, you just immerse yourself in it.
0: There's, there's something that that I think that we should talk about when because it just it just came into my mind and, and in full transparency, I, like I struggled with it for a little while, and that's the idea of allow giving yourself the freedom to go down other paths that you want to go down or that you're interested in going down or that you're naturally gifted at and mm-hmm. and pursuing those things so like for me um i when i like when i started drama's resource and i was i started to play less because i was focused on this i noticed that man i'm you know i grew up in business and i'm i'm just really good at it and i i thought that I was naturally gifted at it and I said, "Well, no, I've been in I've been involved in business since I was born because my parents have owned multiple businesses." So, oh, okay. So, I actually learned. This is a learned skill, but but the what I started to realize is that man, I'm really good at I'm really good at the business side of things. I'm really good at networking. I'm really good at connecting people. I'm really good at, you know, building an audience through the podcast and all that kind of stuff. And I fought it for a while, man. I mm-hmm. like I was like, no, I got to be playing. I like, that's all I have to be doing. And like, and a lot of it was fear. And it was, well, other people are going to be like, wait, and why is Nick not playing so much? Is, you know, Mm. and then I was like, well, you know, what are other people going to think? And like, am I giving up on playing and all? And so there was like, there was all of this internal struggle that was going on. And I think that other people go through that too, because fear is real. And yeah and allowing yourself to to go down these paths that like I'm sure that you know when you started out you weren't thinking that you'd be doing the things that you're doing now
1: right totally 100% and, yeah
0: and did you struggle with that like sort of pivoting a little bit in your in your you know, career
1: um, I guess I'll start with that, like just the pivot part. Um, recently, I, I was with, just to also give any listeners some some background, I was with Chubby Checker for six years, and the first three years I was with him, I was just his drummer, and the final three years I was with him, uh, the last three years, I was his tour manager and his music director. I pretty much wore all his hats. And mm-hmm. um, so taking jumping from my other gigs to, to take that gig, which ended up being a full-time endeavor... I, would, I was like, it was a no-brainer, it's what I wanted to do, and all my life I wanted to tour, see the world, play music, um, and so it was great. Transitioning out, which about two years ago, about a year and a half, I stopped playing with Chubby, and I basically took a leave of absence, and the biggest reason were, well, there's two big reasons. One, the biggest reason was uh, the birth of my first son, so um, I guess it was three years, he's going on three years old, So, but he was born while I was still with Chubby, so mm-hmm. I was touring around while my, my wife was home with our first son. And that's when I realized, man, it's really tough. So it was an easy decision personally for me to get off the road and not, you know, wait for, you know, um, a schedule and throwing a dart at a map. You know, like, where will I be next week? Oh, I'll be in New Mexico, but then we're flying to Montreal. Like, that sounds romantic and fun, but there's the one hour you're on stage, there's the 23 hours you're living it otherwise, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so it's, I, I love travel and I still do it uh, at least once a month I travel. Um, and maybe twice a month sometimes and and many times for our ships, it's over overseas or it's it's still exotic places but I have to minimize that because of a family so Mm -hmm. since I have two two kids now two sons uh, Nash and Cameron um, it was a very easy decision for me to pivot Um, but at the time I had the same feeling you're talking about when I was like I'm just going to end this now like this was well all I've ever thought of doing all my life this was also I was in the middle of it and I thought and I actually thought the same thing, maybe like, will I be discredited because I'm not playing full time? Because I just mentioned the longevity of a career, like mm-hmm. musicians, like if you take any big gaps and artists, they're, they're very famous. And, you know, if there's a big gap in your career and then you come back, it's it's harder to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's easier to get a gig when you're in a gig. So while I was touring and traveling, I, there were not like amazing offers all the time, but there were some pretty cool times. I got to sit in with the Beach Boys. I got to you know, because I was friends with their band, and, right. and you know, when you get to meet other musicians on the road, and, and uh, you get get to see some great things, you start to get excited about, what's the next step? What's the next, um, you know, what's my next gig after this? So, so that was paralyzing in my head, just, but it was a quick decision. It was within, like, the first realization, I have to take a step away, was like, oh my god, I can't believe this, and then the very next day, I was like, all right, I called Chubby up. Actually, I told him New Year's Eve, that's what it was, because uh, I always helped him, so we played New Year's Eve, I think, down in somewhere in Florida, Tallahassee, in the, the center of the city, big outdoor festival. Um, we played until the ball dropped and the fireworks happened, took him back to the hotel, helped him with this stuff, and said, by the way, Chubby, I'm taking a leave of absence. And um, he was very gracious. And uh, I actually trained his drummer, who replaced me at the time, and um, also helped him find his like his current guitarist. I helped him find him, and he's their current band leader now. So I, I really made sure, almost like any other job, like to give him notice, because I played for several months after that, and, uh, and I still keep in touch with him, do everything, but um, we're good friends, we text, and you know, I, he's, he actually lives fairly local to me, which I didn't know when I met him. We met you know, a few hours away, didn't know that he was actually local to where I live. But, um, but anyway, uh, that was hard, that pivot was tough. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, but prior to that, if I go in the reverse, it wasn't hard for me to ever make the decisions, business or music decisions, which are the same for me, it was never tough. I I went from being in college to getting a teaching job and but while I was teaching I was also producing shows at Hershey Park in Hershey, Pennsylvania, which was my first like our our company Windish Music Productions. It was our first, you know, partner or client um, and it's a pretty big one in the in the attractions industry. So right away, I think 2009 was the first year I did well, I I should say 2005 I did shows for them in their in their fall season. I would write the show, direct the musicians, hire the music- musicians, do everything that goes into it. Um, so how, but, did you,
0: how did you get that gig? I think that's Im- important.
1: Oh, well, actually, uh, when I was um, in college, you could audition to play there. You can still audition to play at many theme parks or amusement parks or even cruise ships like we were talking about. So I auditioned um, and got a gig there when I was just out of college. And um, they hire now they hire up to 100 musicians, performers, and technicians. Really, there's about thirty-five of them that are musicians. The rest are dancers, singers, and everything. And you so we hire focus. all these people? We only uh, just the musicians and the specialty artists they have there. Okay. So we do like we do. I think eight shows in the summer, uh, two Halloween, uh, four Halloween productions, and then something in the winter uh, in February. So um, we only do I think like eight of their productions, and then there's another company that does like the song and dance. Okay. So I've I've done that style of entertainment, but that's not my focus it's more making musicians into a show and um we also we even do jugglers and we have award-winning shows where there's you know um aerialists and and acrobatics and things like that so at hershey it's a little more tame and a little more family um but it is really high quality uh, the musicians are great mm-hmm. in fact like i think a year ago or two years we had rich redmond come in and do a clinic for the nice. musicians just to hype him up nice. and he was playing because right there at hershey if you know that. is the stadium yeah, you know the, yeah. the arena or whatever uh, Hershey park arena and it has a stadium and that's where they, you know, Dave Matthews and guns and roses was just there. So if any big acts come through and I know somebody, I, I try to get them to come talk to the musicians, the performers. That's awesome. It just to give them a real life, you know, uh, what it's like out there because they're, they're kind of at the point that's a transitional and pivotal point for them. Mm-hmm. And, um, they, they don't know what's next. They kind of work from either contract to contract or gig to gig. Um, so, so it was really helpful to have guys like him. Uh, like I said, I had the guy, Dwight, from Berkeley at the time who came and talked to our students. And I just try to do clinicians uh, and speakers every now and then because I really feel like it, it helps them and it helps them do better shows for us and for the guests at the park. Um, but I started playing there, actually. I was just a performer. And every year I negotiated my way into a better, a, a nicer position or a more, um, like to have a little more say in what was going on. So my first mm-hmm. year I played in a band and everything went well, and we had a band leader, and he was a great guy, it was, it was a Dixieland band. Then the following year, um, they asked me if I'd play in another band, which was actually an R&B funk band, and that was really what I wanted to do, but then this other band, it was a bluegrass country band, did not have to march in the parade, and they, did not, and they didn't have a band leader. Um, they call him show captain. So I said, um, what time are the shows for that gig? And they told me, and then I said, okay, uh, I would like to do that gig um, if I can then be the um the show captain so they looked at it then they interviewed me for the show captaincy and the leadership and I got that um and then now I wouldn't even suggest this because like for me it was fine and it worked but like I think being too kind of eager and ambitious when you're younger and you're trying to push through things you could seem like you're just trying to get whatever you want and negotiate all the time mm-hmm. um I always say you know like you can't negotiate without some sort of leverage ever right. you know so like as a kid I, my leverage was I wasn't really planning on going back. I, did, I didn't plan. They, they thought I did a great job. They needed leadership. And they said, well, could you come back? I said, yeah, I'm not sure. I haven't kind of turned it down because I was making tough decisions as a young, immature 20-something-year-old. You know, I just right. I was just saying, like, no, I'm going to look for something better. And there was nothing better at the time. So I'm glad I did it. So when I did that, I also made my schedule that I could teach lessons at Dale's Drum Shop in Harrisburg.
0: Yeah, man, I bought my DW kit there.
1: Yeah, it's beautiful. Like my organic. first
0: DW kit I ever bought was at Dale's Drum Shop, and they were amazing. The staff was great. The, the I mean, just they totally took care of me.
1: They are awesome. Reg, Reggie over there is amazing. And I came up, I grew up 10 minutes, Caddy Corner, 10 minutes from Dale's Drum Shop, oh, okay. 10 minutes from Hershey Park is where I lived. Like if you draw like a 90-degree a angle, I'm at the point of that, and they're like equidistant to me. So like that was where I grew up thinking everyone had the best drum shop and a theme park in their backyard. Um <laughs> But I grew up near Hershey, but then I went to school out here towards Philly. and then um, so when I when I worked at at Hershey, long story short, I, the next year after being a leader in a country band and teaching lessons, and I, I then um, they asked me if I'd be interested in doing an internship or or uh, be a supervisor in their office. So I ended up becoming a music supervisor for another summer. So I did three summers as an employee. But while I was doing that, they would ask me, hey, we have this parade we need in in the in the winter that's indoors. We have uh, a Halloween band we wanted to work on. And so they kept giving me these side projects. And then they finally said, we want you to just write music for this Halloween show. And I said, okay, well, who's directing it? Like, well, we don't know. We just want the music written to, you know, and actually the same Sibelius program that I did your drumming book in, I did, I wrote the show for Hershey. Nice. (laughs) um, Because I haven't really updated my Sibelius, whatever, my notation. But um, anyway, I have guys who do that now that are better than me. Um, But I... I wrote a show for them and I said, I, I don't want to just write this for you. I want to direct it. And they said, well, I don't have the budget to, to, to write the music. I said, well, I'm not going to do it. I turned it down be- at first because I said, I really don't want to do this unless I can direct it and help find the musicians." I want to do everything because I'd hate to write a book of music and then it doesn't go well for some other reason, but you blame the music. Right. You, you know, You hire people who can't read music or... You hire a a bass player who can't play this zombie Latin tune I I arranged, you know. So I kind of, like, really said it has to be all in. So they got me a very, you know, okay budget for the time, and I was really glad to do it. And um, that show, that very year, actually won an award. Nice. Um, It won, like, the best, I don't know, best overall production or something like that. So that show is still running at Hershey. Uh, It was a Halloween band. But then... um, I then eventually started an LLC and I said to them, you know, from now on, uh, you know, I resign as an employer, like, you know, let me go as an employee and then hire my company as a vendor. And so since then, I think it was like 2000, actually it was 2007 when I I said, let's do the vendor piece. That's when I started my business officially, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it was only Hershey. And then, you know, 2009, I was on tour with Chubby. So I basically sort of lived two lives and, and didn't really, um, you know, wasn't all in on the business, and and it has been since. So,
0: and you got the gig with Chubby through Hershey, right?
1: I, you know, I met him at Hershey. Yeah, yeah. I, I they didn't they didn't really like. Uh, actually, someone at Hershey introduced me to him. So I guess so. I guess I met him at while I was working at Hershey. I was directing a brass band which does like New Orleans and like some pop tunes. And at the time, they did that. And then um, there's the bus there, and I, I'm pulling into the parking area, and there's the you know Chubby Checker marquee on the side of his bus. He likes to travel where you see his name, and he's sitting there, just sitting outside in the sun, and I walk over, and I said, hey, Chubby, and he said, and uh, someone introduced me and said, oh, this is Mike Winish,' and told him what I do, that I, I direct all the musicians and the bands and the shows there, and then um, he said, uh, well, man, you, you work with musicians? I said, yeah. He said, I need a drummer. I said, okay. I said, well, I, Chubby, I'm a drummer. I'd love to be your drummer, and he said, no, 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 you're too busy for me. I don't want that, and then my wife, Aubrey, was there, and she's also a percussionist and drummer, and. And piano player, and she said, "Well, I'd like to be a drummer." And he said, "Oh no, 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 that's too hot for my band. I don't, want that. <laughs> I don't want that." He said, "He said, you find me a drummer." And I was like, "Man." So he gave me his number, his cell. He said, "Just call me. Find me a drummer. I need one now. Get me a drummer." <clears throat> so I I uh, took his number down, and then our band happened to be there. I brought him over. They're playing Dixieland and playing like a bunch of like second line stuff for him. He's like, he's kind of dancing around. It was like this kind of romantic moment of, what the hell is happening? Uh, I didn't expect, to, you know that this would happen, you know? Right. So the, kind of like the timing and preparation piece of it. Um, I, I did leave him and said, Hey, you know, love to meet up with you at some time. And, and I found out there, cause that's like two hours from where I live that I found out that he's local to Philadelphia. They lives in, you know, out by King of Prussia. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone here knows that I didn't know that. So he also is really, like a, he's a GPS with directions. I mean, he said, Oh, where do you live? And I told him, and he told me exactly how to get from my house to the school I used to teach at, to get to his house. Like he knew he knows every exit. And actually touring with him, if we're on 95 or in to get off 40 to go to Nashville, he knows exactly what exit and what gas station to stop at uh, and everything. He's got like a photographic wow. memory. And plus he's been doing it for over 50 years, traveling right, right, the, right. the world and the country. And, uh, so anyway, he really knew stuff um, very well like that and very good memory. So <clears throat> um, then I called him the next day. I said, hey, Chubby, it's Mike Wendy. He said, like, I know who you are. And he said, you find me a drummer? And I said, I did. I found you a drummer. Uh, It's me, Chubby. I want to be your drummer. And he said, no, 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 no. You're too busy for me. I said, no. I said, well, you saw some of the musicians I work with. I said, they're all young. They're all trying to find that next step in their careers. They all need to transition into the real life as a musician. Um, How can I give that to them if I haven't had that myself? I said, you know, as an educator, as like a music guy, you know, I can't learn that from anyone better than you um, so take me on as your drummer, um, and he, he said, all right, all right, so he must have liked that, and he, um, he gave me the music director's name and number, said, call Tommy, and Tommy, uh, Tommy, who was his music director at the time, was very, like, good at everything he did, he was great at music, he was super organized, he was also hyper-focused about getting gigs and making the gig good, um, and he was pretty, you know, he was, he was a tough guy, he was from Detroit, and, If you know, when I just mentioned the name Tommy Clufetis, he's Tommy Clufetis Senior. Oh, yeah. His son is Tommy Clufetis, known for playing with Black Sabbath. Yep. Playing with, uh, you know, Ozzy Osbourne, Ted Nugent, um, Rob Zombie. I'm
0: looking at a a cover of Drum Magazine right here, and he's on the cover. Is he on it? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, This this was from a while ago. This was from, like, June of... I was in the magazine, so I have it hanging on my wall. That was such a douchey thing to say but that's the reason why it's, <laughs> that's why it's hanging on my wall but he's oh, on the
1: cover well, Tommy 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 Clufetis the drummer is like uh, the Olympic athlete of drummers I mean yeah. like the guy can play fusion he can play jazz he can play it all but he he he's very selective like specific about how he, how he plays what he does and I mean when he got a whiff of the Black Sabbath gig or the Ozzy Osbourne gig he went home 12 hours a day just practicing everything Ozzy Osbourne's ever breathed on and that's how he is, and so in in some ways, that's exactly how his dad was as a band leader. Um, and and I don't I wouldn't say anything ill about either of them, but I know that Tommy Senior really pushed young Tommy, and that's no discredit to Tommy Junior because Tommy Clefettis in his own right is a bu- is an amazing artist. Mm-hmm. But um, the funny thing about it is that like you know Tommy Junior will say, oh man, you know I learned a lot from Tommy Senior, and Tommy Senior will say, oh you know I taught him everything he knows. You know, like they have this like. <laughs> father-son camaraderie thing uh, that only they know. And right. they've also really, like, um, I know that he played on all of his dad's gigs since he was, like, a kid, like, 11 years old, playing with major artists in Detroit. Um, and he got his first touring gig, I think, at 17 or something with Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels. So nice. Tommy Jr.'s, in, in this way, you know, like, a later influence to me and a, a, hero, a hero because there's nothing he knows better than drumming I me. Mean, he just, there's no one who does it like him. And even though I I love old rock and roll and I love heavy metal, but I, I'm not a huge, you know, listener of that music. But I, I know the mentality he puts into that music and where it came from because I studied with his dad for three years. Yeah. Um. So I kind of I, – I feel like I got the Tommy Clefetis School of Music um, and then also the Chubby Checker School of Music, you know, in like a six-year period. Nice. Um, because they're both sticklers. They were all sticklers about music. Now, all that said, I, when Tommy Sr., Tommy C., he goes by – when he had left the band, I basically was in a in a transition with Chubby's, you know, gig. And so he had some other players. And I think there was a time when, you know, I sat out a few things because, like, it was kind of not sure what the band was doing. and um, But he brought me back and said, hey, uh, we'd like to have you back, of course. You know, like, wh- why did you end up sitting out that one gig? Long story, short, you know, it was like a, some weird dramatic thing. And basically, no matter what road gig you're on, basically when you join, you've already put in your notice. You get right. fired a couple times. Especially with the older older guys, you know, um, like they're, they're just, it's not it's like, like playing with Jeffrey Washington. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like you just you basically when you join the gig, you've given your two week notice. Right. I, I've been fired twice when I was on the road with Chubby. Yeah. But never it wasn't like fired like in a cold way. It just you make sense when you're in the middle of it and the hype of it. And, and also like maybe the needs of the gig needed something else. And so when I say I learned, I mean, I had gone through a lot with those guys and then came out kind of in charge of the group and, and helping. And I wouldn't say because, well, two reasons: one, I am an organized person, and coming from my you know music director background and my um, leadership background as a teacher and everything, I was very used to the rinse and repeat and making something systematic work all the time. Mm-hmm. but um, also I, if I hadn't had those three years of experience getting beat up and taught and mentored and and hired and fired and left and right and like on major gigs and everything, I would have then um, not have been prepared mm-hmm. so That really helped.
0: We're going to take a quick pause to hear from our sponsors and we'll be right back with Mike Windish. Musicians Institute is located in the heart of Hollywood, California, and they boast a world-class faculty. They boast world-class facilities. And basically any single course that you can think of is there for you, whether it's production, percussion, guitar, bass, anything that you can think of to take your game to the next level and really make a career in music. You can learn more about their great programs and all of their great alumni by going to mi.edu. Do not forget about my other California friends, DW Drums, located there in Oxnard, California. Not only do they make great drums, they foster drumming initiatives like this podcast all over the world, and their doors are wide open if you ever want to go take a tour. You can call ahead or you can find out what days they're doing them. You can go in and see how they actually make these great drums from scratch by hand. Check them out by going to DWDrums.com. Now let's get back into it with Mike Windish. I want to talk about all of the things that you do. And the reason is because there are so many different ways out there that we can make a living as a drummer or as a musician in general. And I think that you have a lot of sort of unorthodox ways that you can, that that people are making money. So getting just out of, not that I'm suggesting anyone not go play gigs, but there's all of this other stuff. So, so let's start with the theme park stuff. How do you, if people want to, so that's like, that's a revenue generating thing that that musicians can do. That's a way to make money playing music. So how do you suggest people get into that? And then I also want to talk about Billboard and the cruise ship too.
1: Yeah, um, well, uh, to get a job as a musician doing any of these things, uh, you just have to look for it out there. Um, uh, really search for job openings and search by obvious like, seeking drummer, you know, like literally Google the words that people post when they're looking for a drummer, if it's that simple. And the problem is that musicians in my, my uh, experience are not the best job seekers. We're not really good at looking for things. We feel like if you build it, if I have technical facility and I have experience, it will come. People will hire me because I'm already a star. We always, some of us are stars in our own right because we're mm-hmm. such creative minds, you know, we're creative people and we're working on art. So we feel like we'll be this our art will be seen and heard. And that's not true. You just need to have the funny so much thing about out that there already.
0: Well, sorry, I just totally cut you off, but you know, I mean, you know, Glenn Farrakhan, obviously, and he was yeah. a big mentor of mine and I'm in the studio one night and he, you know, we're talking, I was talking about getting gigs and he's like, why are you waiting for people to hire you? Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, you got to go out and, either hire them or get hired you can't just yeah. sit around and expect the phone to ring because you're a great drummer he's like it just doesn't right. work that way and so i agree with you i even i was in that you know in that role of like oh well you know i built it i practiced i did all that stuff i'm playing in these bands i'm touring like people should be calling me for gigs
1: yeah it's 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 tricky and glenn is an, a great example because he's a great band leader you know right. he puts his bands together But he also has been a great sideman with like Joe Cocker and with Jerry Lee Lewis and Mm -hmm. all these greats. So he's been on both sides of that as well. And uh, that's the tricky thing is that um, when you are like just kind of waiting for it to happen, uh, and it's that same paralyzing time. I remember in my 20s, I played in four or five original bands in in Philly and just waiting for one of them to quote unquote make it or to, you know, record the album and get more gigs, get a manager or, or do a tour. Just thinking like that was the end all I didn't know what came after that and no one ever does and so I hear a lot of musicians who are so excited about their tour which they should be and they do a tour and then they come back and then that's it and it's like well you just got to keep working it's not right. just it's not a one-off you're, you're kind of like in your life becoming a weekend warrior like that one week is a week of your life mm-hmm. it's sort of like doing a, a weekend of a gig and then feeling like it'll all fall on your laps you you look at your calendar and try to map out the next quarter of your life you know or the next quarter of the year or whatever. So you have to kind of look at a, bit, a broader scope and, and, um, and always kind of the first thing, of course, and even like young Tommy Clefes would say, you treat every small gig like it's a big gig. You know, mm-hmm. when I was playing, he said, when I was playing covers in bands in Detroit, I was imagining I was playing with the band I'm covering like a hundred percent. I was playing it. Like I'm playing with Leonard Skinner or like I'm playing with, you know, whoever. Totally. Um, so, so you, you, you don't just picture it from a drumming point of view, You picture it from like as a professional point of view. Um, so like, uh, I think people, they tend to just like when something goes well, they get these small successes or peaks and valleys and they hit the peak. They high five, they go relax, they have a drink and they, they're like, they're, they're, they're comfortable. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think the most dangerous point where you're, you don't, you can't lose that momentum.
0: Yeah. And so the
1: if, we're, if they're know,
0: bad seeker if they're bad job seekers, how do you, how do you suggest people improve on that?
1: Right. Going back to that. Um, job seekers, they just like, for instance, um, we do theater, uh, uh, singers, um, actors and, um, you know, dancers, we've, we've hired them and then we hire musicians. And the thing that's the biggest difference is I go to an open call for singers, dancers, or theater types, and they have a resume, they have a photo headshot and they have every, they know exactly, they wrote a letter to you saying, I'm interested in your jobs. They did their research. They thought through, How they present themselves. So I go to a musician call. Even when I go to Berkeley's College of Music, nothing against Berkeley, but I think it's a musician thing. Rarely does a performer, a musician, walk in with a resume, Mm -hmm. and I find that strange. And I think they're they're starting to get them to to be better at that. Uh, And I don't want to pick on Berkeley. All colleges of music I go to, right? uh, Or open call, especially if I go to Nashville or I go to Boston or LA or anywhere you know, musicians show up because they don't know what you're looking for and maybe their brand of rock and roll doesn't require that anyway. Mm -hmm. But if I don't have something to remember that person by, that really is tough. So I I think that everyone should kind of have the materials ready. I know it sounds, doesn't sound really cool or, you know, rock and roll, but it'd be good if you had like a bio or a website or a list of your, your, um, like a resume Mm -hmm. and then a photo of you because, uh, we do hire musicians where the look is just as important as it is on, you know, on television or film or right. in theater, like they sometimes want a blonde drummer. They mm-hmm. sometimes want a female drummer. They sometimes want a youthful person or someone more seasoned in their looks. So they, they're very specific um, sometimes. Other times it's really up to us and other times it's not about that. It is about the music. So I, I think that they need to kind of take a hint from other, you know, fields. Mm-hmm. They should have some sort of image or lookbook of what, they, what they've what they done. You know, take great pictures at your gig and put them on your website um, and then improve those every time. Have a website, uh, have a Facebook fan page, a YouTube page, just like some sort of media that that shows what you do and what you've done. And then have like a bio or a, a CV or, um, you know, uh, a resume. Mm-hmm. Um, and then have something you can bring to these people. Research, research the job before you show up. But it's hard for me to say because I'm on so much of the side trying to find them, like why they may not be looking for these things. I think the marketing is super clear and it's out there just like anything else. We post on all the same sites and pages and, and, um, word of mouth and schools and musical outlets that you see many other things. But I, I just found the, the pattern where musical theater and those actors and singers are much more, uh, like much more well-prepared than musicians
0: well, how? So, where would I find all of these jobs? If I'm if I'm seeking these jobs, where where do I? Because honestly, right now, if you were like, go try to get a job at an amusement park, I don't know where. I mean, I would Google it and I would figure sure. it out. But like, is there is there a place do you recommend that people go? to a certain place to find these jobs or where there's open calls, where they're, you know, Mm -hmm. and also like where, I mean, I've talked about this before about, you know, sort of putting your resume together, making sure you have something to present yourself rather than just like spamming people online and tagging them in your, in your YouTube video. But, but you know, is there, is there resources for musicians that you know of that, that can help people sort of put this whole package together?
1: Yeah. I, I would say, um, If they want to work at a theme park, for example, or an amusement park or a specific attraction, they should look up that attraction. If you want to work for Disney, Disneyland, you saw their all-American band that plays there in the summer. You need to go to their website and search, you know, Disneyland, all-American band. Um, Or if you want to work at parks in Orlando, there's so many of them there. And people who play for Disney also play for Universal. You go to their pages and you look up talent or you look up auditions or you look up musician or whatever kind of performer, like if you look up Universal Studios dancer audition, you'll find something likely. Mm -hmm. And um, the other piece of that is that many of the parks I just talked about, they might do things internally, and they just have casting internally, because there are so many performers in their city. So in Los Angeles, you know, near Anaheim, um, Disneyland, it's not that they don't have trouble finding musicians, because they definitely don't. But it's, it's kind of a no brainer that they're that close to a lot of artistic outlets so they get the best of the best and a lot of them are actually like full-time um with benefits and can yeah. retire on the job at disneyland mm-hmm. and in, in orlando it may be different um, slightly i think you know there's more union work in disneyland and i can't speak for because i don't work particularly with disney but um orlando i know a lot of people who actually play or perform and like i said at all those different venues and um and then they um are able to kind of be free agents for corporate work and all sorts of other things in Orlando. So um, anyway, uh, if you want to play for a a particular park and that's your interest, you should look that place up and search how you audition. Mm -hmm. Um, For like a Hershey Park, um, they have a whole link on their page, hersheypark.com, and then they have uh, shows and live entertainment, and then they have auditions, and they let you know they do an audition every February on-site. But then our site, if you're looking to work for our particular jobs or curious about our jobs, is windishmusic.com and we have a whole thing about auditions for um, whether it's theme park or cruise ship and like a, an application so people can just like fill it out and give us an information about them and then we can inquire you know further or they can ask they can inquire about certain jobs because it is hard like if we work with multiple theme parks and cruise lines then how do they know what they're auditioning for or right. applying for so we're always open to answering questions and right away letting them know what opportunities are there and then um uh, we also have one that's very specific to Billboard On Board because we do a show with Holland America, which is, um, it's called Billboard On Board and it's partnered with Billboard in New York City. Um, so they send us um, all the iconic information about the charts. Um, they approve everything that goes on on the show and, and it's actually singing piano players in a, in a dual fashion, two players, where they, um, we rehearse them for two weeks so we make sure that they can learn about 200 songs at the t- highest level and they play it like a band, two players on piano, but playing it like all the parts you'd hear in the recording. Wow. And so um, that particular thing, we even have a page just dedicated to that because it's very specific and it's very, very much in, important that it's branded to Billboard and Hall in America. And in fact, if you go to that page, it doesn't take you back to my site anymore because we don't want it to be diluted where if someone clicks there and then goes back to my audition page for theme parks, that they're confused. Right. Um. So, um, but that's just me. There are many agencies uh, that that are like select. So, like for example, if you want to work for Carnival, they have a page that's uh, Carnival Entertainment. I can find it, but it's um, it's uh, basically their Carnival Cruise Line Entertainment page, and um, it tells you exactly what they're looking for. Apply here, and it only has on their page what's open. So, mm. um, it it'll say seeking drummer for a rock band. And you click on it, or seeking so country duo, or Caribbean duo, you know pe- uh, steel pan drummers, right? And it'll be very specific. So, um, but it won't be on there. Like it won't say saxophone unless they're looking for saxophone. Mm-hmm. But they do look for musicians all around. And then there's agencies. So if you want to go to a uh, sorry, you want to go to a cruise line, you look that cruise line up and find it, just like the theme parks. But if you want to be open to all cruise lines or many cruise lines, there are agencies that act as a musician agent. Uh, artist agent who will then help you uh with many cruise lines um like there's one called lime entertainment like the the fruit the mm-hmm. lime L I M E lime entertainment and a lot of our performers who do our ships or whatever cuz we're not an agency right now i mean we we don't tr- act as that we do casting services but i'm not an agent who you know um in that manner where i i represent the artists and bring them to other projects right. we're more creative services so we create the show and then we find the best performers for the show okay um,
0: so, but do you, so you don't book, you don't necessarily book cruise ships. You only do the, the billboard one.
1: We no, we work with carnival as well and we so, do casting services with carnival.
0: So how does that work? So there's a bunch of different production companies that these, that carnival works with and, and cause I'm guessing you don't have exclusive deals with these
1: people, right? Yeah. I, well, it's, it depends. Like for instance, with, um, with Holland America, it's we, right now we work with billboard on board and we actually oversee the venue. Um, we're working on content for the screens in the venue, because there's nine nine you know uh, flat screens throughout the venue that play content while the musicians are playing. Mm-hmm. So if they're playing a song by Billy Joel, you'll see Billy Joel on a fact about him on the screens, right. or you'll see a fact about Billboard and the different landmarks and milestones of the company, of the, the publication, you know, in the charts. And then um, when there's off, uh, events in that room that aren't the piano players, like a trivia or... Name that tune. They do all these events for the guests. We also are writing content for that mm. and making sure that everything in the venue speaks to the brand. So we've been kind of called the brand ambassador for Billboard for that project. And that's that's a way, again, talking about steering away from being a drummer, um, I am constantly training singing piano players and making sure everything in the venue looks and sounds on brand. And I'm not hitting a drum at all, but I love it. You know, I, I'm, I'm enjoying that. So so like... um. That is totally like a, a different, you know, uh, detour from me playing drums on on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, but but so our services there are actually less about we're not headhunter casting services. So we're not just finding a musician and placing them in a job that exists. We 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 created the show and we're now finding the best players for that show that fit the brand.
0: I got you. Uh, and there's so a lot that, of there's a lot of opportunity out there for drummers on cruise ships, right?
1: There is, yeah. Every every cruise ship likely, if they if they have a band, they have a drummer, and if they have, um, you know, like a show band for so so on Carnival, they call it a rock band or um, a pop. I, I think it's a rock band now, and they um, and they have twenty five ships, so um, Carnival like has a real need for musicians all the time, and in fact, they just added, I think a few, maybe a year ago or less than a year ago, they brought back what they call like a brass band or a. I think they called it like their oh man, I forget what it's called, the horn horn trio, where it's like a, three horns, a sax, a trumpet, and a trombone. And they brought that back. And so if you think about that, it's like, oh, that's cool. That's nice. And they add on to the band. They do the shows and they do their own performance with a track. So as a musician, whether you like that or not, it still is pretty cool, but it's it's what it is. It's three jobs for horn players on one ship. But since they have 25 ships, they now have to be concerned about what is if my math is horrible is it 75 now they have to hire 75 musicians because someone made a decision to bring back the horns right right so like now there's a need so now that's 75 musicians 365 days a year that are needed on these ships and i think that's a great thing um awesome and it happens every which way like you know sometimes a band is a five piece and then it becomes a four piece i think Holland america has a thing a, a group they call the band and it's actually two piano players one who covers like all the string parts or organ parts or just acts as like the, the keys player, one who's strictly piano, and then they have a drummer, a bass player, and a guitarist. And um, so with that, they have those two piano players. And on some ships, they have a solo pianist who just plays, you know, real pop songs in like a classical fashion on piano. Like they'll do clocks, but they'll do it in a really like avant garde way, um, you know, like a cold play tune or something. And then they have, um, a group called bb kings which is actually based on the blues club Mm -hmm. and they're all players from memphis and nashville and they have them on on eight ships and then they have our billboard on board so like right there what is that that's seven piano players on on the ships um and so like out of nowhere they're they're kind of like there's an influx of piano play player jobs um so so that's like just it, it comes in trends or waves for arbitrary reasons um so, for, for instance, I hire way more, more singing piano players than almost anything, mm-hmm. um, and because we've done that on a couple ships, or, you know, uh, six ships for Holland America, and we've done it for a few years in, in parks and other venues, I get called all the time for dueling pianos, which is a totally different, you know, again, job than I ever dis- expected. Right. Um, but I don't know if that, that gets away a little bit from how do performers find these jobs. Um I think they need to just kind of do searches, go online. If they have a specific venue, artist or anything they want to do, they need to seek out how you do that. Agreed. And that could be putting posts out that are annoying. That could be just googling and finding out the agency that books them, finding out when their open call audition date is, where that is, booking a flight and going up to New York or going down to wherever it's being the audition happens. We mm-hmm. do a tour. So And I normally
0: was- post like if you I know that if you have auditions, you'll send them to me and I'll I'll post them. You know. Oh, yeah,
1: that's great. That's awesome. Because, yeah, it's the same thing. Like, um, word of mouth is the biggest way I find musicians. It, um, you know, the, of course, people search and once in a while. But, like, our biggest um, ambassador are the performers who've worked with us. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> everyone who's worked in my theme parks or and we have like a little Windish Music Productions performer Facebook group now where we just keep adding musicians from you know the past decade or so that worked with us. And then we post things there, and because they all love it, they share it. You know, like they, they love the experience, they they share it, um, and they go back to their whatever their pool of musicians and tell them about it. Mm-hmm. So, and also if someone says I really like working with this person, they tell me there's this bass player, they love working with, and they're a drummer. I mean it's a no brainer for me if they're if I trust the drummer and he's done a great job for me, and uh, to put them together if it, if it works out. Um, uh, to to some degree, you know, there's other things you have to kind of look into, but. But it really helps if they already have a partnership or uh, they get along because mm-hmm. the dynamic of musicians is important. I mean of course. You, you can't fake that on stage. No, you cannot.
0: So how did you get into all this? And the reason why I'm asking I'm guess I mean, I'm guessing it stemmed a little bit from Hershey, but I'm sure that when you sat down, you weren't thinking, oh, I'm going to start this company and we can do this and then we can do this and then we can work with Billboard and we can do this. I'm sure that you know it was one thing to the next to the next. and But I think the disconnect is always having the idea and then executing it and saying, okay, all right, I want to start this company. I want to start working with you know, with musicians and start getting them gigs and all that stuff. Okay, what do I do today? What do I do tomorrow? So what was your what was your process going through that? How did this all start to come together?
1: Well, uh, you're right about Hershey. Like that, just being asked to put a group together, a band, and it started with like a 10-piece, I forget, a seven-piece marching band, like a strolling band. So when I was asked to do that, it, it completely... Um, like made me think about oh who are the best players like I just started doing the job and then I realized I was good at it or I was like at least I'm gonna work my ass off until it happens mm-hmm. like I'm just I was tireless about every job given to me so uh, someone even said oh man it sounds like all this fell on your lap because if you think of it that way pretty much everything I'm describing or my all my jobs I happened upon but like you you're good great at, great at business and you're a great communicator and you're passionate and that just comes out people know that so that regardless of whether they to- talk to you on this forum once or like they met you at a show they know they can talk to Nick you know <laughs> like mm-hmm. they know you're a guy they can call if they have a question I mean you you also by the way you helped me out you know introduced me to Bosphorus and that's the right. symbols I still use so you're good at those things so they just kind of they they come out uh, that you thrive on those things there are strengths of yours already and I discovered my strengths and so for me personally that's how basically even billboard I was brought in by uh, Ryan Stana who has a company in, in New York, uh, RWS and uh, RWS uh, entertainment group. And they knew, he knew that they wanted to do something updated with a piano bar at on, in Holland America. And he introduced me to the head of Holland America, uh, not head of Holland America, head of entertainment and enrichment, the vice president of entertainment, Enrichment. And so, so like I, I've, the reason I've probably gotten things, you know, like suggested to me or asked about, you know, like a lot of these things were things I, I happened to mind. Cause I was just in the activity already and I was doing, I was working my butt off 24 7, 365 days a year, like just working really hard at it. And others noticed that. Mm -hmm. And so I I thought about this with Chubby. I thought about this with even Hershey. You know, like I'm one of, like I said, 30 to 50 musicians, 100 creative people who come through that park every summer. Why was I asked all the time to do these things? Um, I made myself available. I asked if they needed help. I'm the first to show up and last to leave. Even when I wasn't the leader, when everyone left, I cleaned the dressing room because I couldn't stand it. Maybe my obsessive-compulsive nature <laughs> helped me help me to like be a detail freak about those things. But then every job I've had since then has been like that, and I just keep doing it till people ask because they notice you're you're doing better work or you're doing hard work or you're willing to. And uh, in in some ways, you, you think of it as dues paying. But like with Chubby, I got beat up a lot. Uh, I was. Told man, it's going to take you a whole year to get good at this. And then I've told you, I was told you can't even do this. And be, you know, and it's chubby. So you look at that music and you think it's like really easy, but it's really the most fundamental music played at the highest level. Yeah, and that's that's a trick. No one hears that. They hear three chords and think it's easy. They hear two and four and and a quarter note on the kick drum and they think it's hard. I remember easy. when
0: James got the gig and uh was like trying to learn all the james so for those of you listening james is a is an organ player that mike and i both have played with i played in a band with him for 15 years uh and he was getting the he you know he got the gig to play with chubby and he was like trying to learn all these tunes it was hard you know he's like man i am like drowning in this stuff and it's not like you said it's 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 easy but it's not you know yeah it's yeah simplest, the simplest music simple, play yeah. at
1: the highest level yeah, yeah. And, and James is great. I mean, he, he played with him for about a year when I was with him. And, um, but, uh, you know, it, it's even in the keyboard seat, you know, the, he, there's always a B3 on stage and piano. Right. Um, there's always challenges because you can't really hide on any of those instruments. But anyway, with, with Chubby, like, um, uh, I think the reason I inherited a lot of the jobs we're talking about, like, as a music director, one, I know, I know how to do those things already. I mean, it's a given, like, as a drummer or a musician, you need to be at the highest level of your craft that you can be and keep working at that and proving, um, and that's a given. So the other pieces of it were because I was already able to hold those things down while, while focusing and doing other things and organizing at a high level. Right. So um, I, I just treat, like, those six years I was with Chubby, for example, there wasn't, no year got easier for me in that six years. It didn't just like, okay, after the first year, I'll, like all those landmarks people told me I'd reach, oh yeah, after 10 gigs you'll be fine. They were telling me like yeah you'll be a, you'll be an okay drummer if you do these things. They weren't telling me you will rule this gig, you'll move on to bigger things. Like they're basically telling you how to do your job uh, at an okay level is what they were telling me. Right. And then the the six years it just kept everything kept um, getting harder because I kept taking on more responsibilities because I I don't know if that makes sense. I don't mean it like does. in a bad way, it got harder. It's just that if you keep working, it doesn't get easier. You just you get better at everything, and then you improve, and you move on to other things to improve. Right. So I I went like in that gig, um, it was sort of like a happening or happenstance that the band leader was moving on, and uh, he's also because he was such a uh, not a control freak, but yes, he was. But <laughs> because he was also like good at all those jobs, uh, Chubby had sort of an expectation that one person did them. So I said, hey. Chubby, I'd like to be the music director, but you know I don't really want to do the tour managing. You should have a separate person do that. Which in in the you know tra- touring world, you should have someone who only focuses on tour managing. Um, and for smaller acts, you can get away with everyone kind of helping out. But at his level, for the places we were playing, he could really use have used a a single tour manager. And he did that years past. So, but because he was so used to how it worked, and he said, "Well, why don't you try this one gig and we'll talk." So I did everything for the one gig, and then it never went away so I did that for three years Mm -hmm. and um uh and then so I'm training new musicians if we had to use someone else because I basically had the same band for three years and a new band for three years but every now and then you have a sub or someone doesn't work out so I inherited that but then I just did it I worked my butt off and I I would also like make a point to memorize everything someone said out loud so I'd have to write it down so I could keep moving and working on my other jobs I would be the MC and introduce them on the stage and then play, and then I'd run off, and I'd make sure the merch seller knew what they were doing, and I stayed with him when he signed autographs. I just took on every job and every one of those things I toiled over. Um, And even on the tour bus, I never slept, because I wanted to make sure the driver knew where he was going. So I sat with him, and I was his co-pilot. Even when he was tired, I drove the bus. I I just volunteered, put myself everywhere I could be. Right. Um, So uh, even that, moving on to the job I'm doing now, you can say all these things happened, or like, I was introduced to Holland America or that we were um, the things fall on your lap. But it has it really has to do with what you do with that. And that maybe is that preparation and, and you know, timing and opportunity or preparation and luck. But if you're not prepared or willing to, like, work for it, it doesn't matter. You have no longevity. So um, I, there was no way. Sorry, this is long winded. I mean, not. Not answer the question. I don't think there's a, a way to answer how it blueprinted into anything. I just think because I love music. I love being a part of music no matter what it is. Like if I'm writing the music, if I'm training the musicians or I'm playing it, um, it's all the same to me. I don't, I do love playing drums, but I don't get more satisfaction just being a drummer all the time than I do training musicians or like making a show really good from the, from behind the scenes.
2: Mm-hmm. But I
1: do, you know, physically miss playing drums. If I don't play, drums. I play drums all the time when I can. And I still play gigs when people ask and I'm more selective about the gigs. Right. But, um, I really think it all it all happened because I just am always willing to work and first to show up and last to leave. Yeah. I it's just you know what
0: I'm hearing out of that is one like you were saying okay maybe did all these things fall in my lap and it's the old adage of the harder I work the luckier I got, right? So <laughs> right. <clears throat> so it's it's a matter of starting and being consistent and going after these things every single day. I talk about it a lot on the podcast like, you know, I send hundreds like i send thousands of emails to people i literally do and do does everyone respond to my email no sometimes it takes me three years or two years to get someone on the podcast you know and it's like i believe it so like for you two
1: weeks in our case
0: or in two yeah and and you and i know each other and (laughs) and like i could i can pick you up and call you at any right. time and it still took us two weeks. You know what I mean? So like I could have yep. easily sent you a text and said, hey man, we should get you on the podcast. And you say, "Yep," And then we don't talk about it again. You right, know, so right. it's like the follow-up and the consistency is the hardest part, but it's it's just, it doesn't have to be these big grandiose things. It's like just start and just keep moving forward. Just put one foot in front of the other and just keep moving forward. And five years later, you're going to turn around and say, holy
1: shit, I've come pretty, man, I've come pretty far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it's it's tricky, uh, and that's the thing because that's what's tough about helping younger musicians understand what it takes. It's, it takes time. It really does. Patience uh, is hard. It it is, and there's no way to say when it'll happen, too, because like the the odds are so against us. It's so we're there's so many the industry's saturated with people who are so good at this and already know what they're doing, and we're all in the mix trying to do our thing. So I, I understand the the fight and the the fear, and that's always going to happen. And even the best, you know, artists I know say they still get nervous before a show. I I don't get nervous for of large large crowds. I get more nervous talking to five people. But yeah. uh, I I it's that still excitement or adrenaline, and maybe it's not nerves anymore. But you never get rid of that. Th- those fears you have never go away. But I do feel like when I hit my 30s, it was a cool, calm, quiet confidence that was yeah. like an acceptance of things can fail, and I'm gonna. And I'm, it's going to be fine. And it was right. funny because someone someone asked me recently, um, you know, another drummer who's like really well known. But um, he said, uh, he said, oh, what are you up to? And I said, yeah, I'm, uh, uh, well, I, I are you still with Chubby? He said, no, I'm not working with Chubby anymore. I moved on uh, because we have kids now. But, you know, we've been doing, my company's still doing a lot of work. And, you know, like just everything's been really great and successful. And he said, yeah, you always seem to land on your feet, is what he said. <laughs> I'm not even going to say who it was. And I, I thought about that. I was like, land on my feet? In my life, I've never pictured that something went away because like, uh, like there, I've never been fired uh, in my head. Nothing's a firing. Nothing's the end. It's always been you know, the whole door of opportunity. So I never even thought of it as I've got to land on my feet. Like, I always thought of it as we're just always working. And
0: we're that's why you always- land on
1: your feet. Yeah, like let's <laughs> say you move to the West Coast. It's like someone said, "Oh, what's you always land on your feet?" Well, no, that's part of your you're in the on the West Coast. It wasn't that you failed or right. that you fell. Like it's it's actually up and onward. Uh, everything I'm doing is, but but that was part of the whole moving on from a gig or not playing drums full time anymore. That was like the focus of that comment was, "Oh, well, you always seem to land on your feet." Like it's like, well, that this isn't just an afterthought. Like this is a lot of thought and work mm-hmm. went into. This career move, with, which actually is very much, you know, a much stronger career move for me down the road and for my family, and but it wasn't even like nothing's a fallback. I've always done live productions. I've always worked with hundreds of musicians, and I'm passionate about that. And back when I was a teacher, I used to say the same thing. People were like, "Well, would you rather play or teach?" And I said, "There's no difference." Um, and I, I'm really a drummer by trade, and I can play with the best of them. In my mind, maybe not, you know, I don't want to be even toot my own horn, but I feel like I'm a professional musician. Right, that's you know, what I, I feel. But but uh, I don't, um, I'm a musician that, you know, like playing drums is a means for playing music for me. I was a piano minor and I also write music and I can listen to Willie Nelson play his, you know, folk guitar all day long and not miss that there aren't drums playing. Um, and I can sit there and watch, you know, videos of Keith Carlock all day long too. Like I, I just live in all those worlds. So I, I don't really, I actually had like a, a separation from like the, You know, showy drum world. I haven't read, um, and I'm not saying that's what the world is to drummers, but I I just haven't gone to a drum clinic or a drum anything or read about drums in a long time um, because I just, I'm so busy making music. And Mm -hmm. um, some of the best players you'll you'll meet can't tell you a word, won't give you any info. You've you've been interviewed a lot, so I'm sure a lot of them are great, but I'm sure some, you know, just it's hard for them to describe because they're just so busy working. They're not, they're not out there trying to figure it all out. They're, they're busy doing the job.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So
1: it, it's a, uh, it was funny when, when I was said, someone said, you know, landing on your feet to me, it was funny. I was like, I never really thought I stumbled or that I was, you know, <laughs> missing a step.
0: Yeah. That's an attitude that, you know, that's, that's, that's the way that, that it has to be done to keep going. And not that, not that I'm sitting here, or I don't think that you are sitting here sort of preaching and sounding prescriptive, but it's like, oh, I guess my, this, the way that I look at things is I just keep moving. Like, you know, even moving out here, it's not the most ideal area to live in for me for music, but I'm like, okay, well then let's, let me seize this opportunity. I'm closer to LA. I'm like, I have great music. I have David Garibaldi lives down the street from me, you know, Scott Amendola lives in Berkeley. Like there's all, there's a music scene that I can get it. I mean, there's, there's just opportunity. And then you, you, you uh, capitalize on it and 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 go after it and keep moving forward, man. You know.
1: Yeah, and and really the standard music city uh, thought. I mean, I I love Nashville or and New York. I would move to Nashville if that were like in another life. That's probably where I would live, and L.A. But they all evolve so much. Uh, mm-hmm. Austin's a huge hub for creative music now. Um, uh, you know, Portland's become having an interesting scene. Even Pittsburgh has an interesting scene. Um, there's all these satellite cities, and I call them satellite because none of us really think of them first unfortunately they always go to the big three um or whatever but chicago's got vibrant music still there's so many places and there's so many like i uh like living outside of philly like i said it really doesn't change much you know other than unless you're going for that specific grind like Mm -hmm. if you want that nashville like it's a no-brainer if you go to nashville you know because that's what you're looking for or new york or la for whatever it is but there's there's so much everywhere else that it doesn't have to be um, and I, I mean, I'm kind of a, I prove that fact for what I do. And even with my business now, I'm based in Westchester and I still, you know, fly out to meetings or take the train in New York and do everything I need to, um, right. everything again is right there. Yep. Uh, it's not far so far that it's like a, a pipe dream in that way.
0: Yep. One hundred percent, man. So if people want to go and learn more about you, they want to see your auditions and keep an eye on the stuff that you're doing, they can just go to windishmusic.com.
1: Yeah, that's right. We also do the, you know, the uh, Instagram, Facebook, and and Twitter, mm-hmm. and they're all under Windish Music. W i n d i s h. Um, so, like, we have a Windish Music Productions Facebook, which we keep up to date. Um, we have auditions at WindishMusic.com if people want to write questions about it um, about any of the jobs. And I actually don't know. I mean, I, do you feel like we covered or? or um, made a clear kind of point of like how to how to do these things. I don't know if I give enough advice for, for younger performers looking for jobs.
0: I think so. I mean the, just one, you know, going out and finding going out and literally Googling and finding the companies that you may want to work for or, you know, go to Windusmusic.com and, and see what auditions are happening there. And, you know, you have to like you said, these opportunities aren't going to fall in your lap and you have to you have to seek them out a bit, maybe hire an agency to get you the gigs. Um, uh, I, I don't know. Do you have any other advice?
1: Yeah, I, I think that's the same. You know, th- that's definitely true. And then um, on top of that is just keep keep working at your craft. And I've heard a lot of people give that same advice. The, the quickest advice is to say we'll just get better and better and keep improving get more experience under your belt but i just think documenting that experience having a resume having a place where you can share that mm-hmm. uh, documenting could be a youtube page where it shows your performances um or your website that kind of has your bio and some pictures and where to get your music um i don't think enough people have those things even great bands we book bands too for for some venues and um they'll say we're huge and we, we go down to Nashville all the time. We do a tour of the East coast and I go to their site. There's not a single date on there. There's nothing updated. Right. And the uh, shows are from would, like
0: 2009.
1: <laughs> yeah. And they, and they also, um, they, they also, uh, take pride in that sometimes too, like saying, yeah, man, you know, like they're artists, so they don't want to look like they're too schmoozy or they're too like, um, job seeking or they're too, what's the word? Like networking, they're just they want to they have like the mystique of having it be vague and that really is the opposite people like to see you're busy people like to see all the great things you're doing like to see pictures like to hear music right like you need and, and so much of your audience is online i mean before you and i spoke i'm listening to all your podcasts i'm researching you know i'm going online looking things up but before i do anything i'm looking things up online Fine. so if you don't have a presence there there's a there's an issue there's a problem and it's going to hold you back because everyone else does right
0: I, I think it would be very hard for you to take me seriously if I mean if we didn't know each other. And I said, "Hey, I want to have you on my podcast." And you said, "Okay, where can you? Where can I learn more about it?" And I was like, "Well, I kind of I have a Facebook page that you can check out, I guess, if you want." There's not much on there,
1: right? And right? You're like, yeah, well, and, you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tricky because you can Google or Wikipedia or look up anything right now very quickly. You can like kind of outsmart somebody with answers that they didn't know on your phone you can do anything at a, you know in a split second. So, if you're not present in a clean, clear way, you're just going to get lost mm-hmm. um, or not be you won't be taken seriously. You and, know, one uh, of the
0: things that you were saying about re- research 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 is that Apple or if you were going to get a job at whatever farmers insurance, you would do research. You would have a resume, you would, you know, you would know about the company. You would drive there the day before to make sure you're not late for the meeting. Like all the stuff that they tell you to do when you're getting a job, it's no different if you're doing it in music
1: yeah business. Uh, exactly yeah so like there's no blueprint so p- the justification for a musician is not to to have any information or any any tangible resources to to give people mm-hmm. i mean I, they don't it's not their fault too and i i think college programs and arts programs should really push on this uh, i know that um uh god what's a school in Philadelphia that's um uh, uh UArts well not UArts it's the orchestral program um I'll think of it, but uh, anyway, it's very famous. I'm just drawing a blank anyway. Um, But they, Curtis. Curtis has a music business, um, and it's an alternative program that they kind of help you understand how to do everything, start your own studio as, you know, teaching lessons, because they know the odds of being an orchestral performer and getting the gig that that principal player died to lose, you know, like literally someone retired or passed away, and now that position opened. It's so rare to get that position. And they have the number of students they have. They need to prepare them for other things. And in no way is that a fallback. It's common sense. Um, and like for you or me, like it's not like, you know, studying our drum lessons that someone gave us a big business back, you know, uh, a lesson. But they, it, it kind of came as part of the territory. And if you're a drummer, you need to, or a musician, you have to be business savvy too. Um, yep. You need to understand your own finances, what you're capable of. You, under, you need to understand it's going to, the cost of your job, it's going to cost you money to fly out to auditions or sticks or symbols or your gear. And I always hate that little, you know, meme or that little joke about $5,000 worth of gear put in a $500 car for $50, $50 gig. It's like, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't itemize my gear to say that I'm quality enough or, or my, you know, like you play the $50 gigs, you play the $500 gigs, you play the, the big pie in the sky gigs, you just do them all at the hundred percent and, 150% people will notice you um, yep. in, in that circuit or in that string. And then you'll just, and you keep seeking other things. It, it just, it kind of snowballs. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I just think enough, pe- that they don't do everything. They do parts of the whole that hopefully will get them noticed. And then when they're noticed, will they have longevity? That's a question of their work ethic. Right. So I, I think that all those items need to be in place. Uh, some sort of documentation of what you've done whether it's your website or resume or um you know materials you have online or you can share albums or recordings and then just be research savvy and the first to show up and last to leave yep hard
0: work man it all comes down to that
1: yeah, it does <sighs>
0: Mike, I appreciate you uh spending time to chat with me. I know you're a busy dude and um I I love what you're doing. I think it's extremely interesting. And I think it opens up the door for a lot of people to see that, like I said, you don't have to be, you don't have to get that big gig. If you want it, that's fine. But you don't necessarily have to do that to be able to have a career in music. You don't have to necessarily be, you know, playing 200 dates a year. There's a lot of different avenues and the way that you get there is hard work so i appreciate everything that you're doing i want to congratulate you on the success that you've had and continued success in the future and please if there's anything going on with auditions or anything like that please let me know and i'll absolutely share it with the drummers resource audience
1: that's great no thank you nick and again i'm a huge of fan of this what you've been doing so uh, thanks brother i'm really excited so thank you for having me
0: of course anytime man and i will uh i'll talk to you soon buddy all
1: right thanks all right. man thanks
0: Mike that was the one and only Mike Windish and for the links to everything that we talk about the links to Mike's website and also the other audition sites and all that stuff will be at drummersresource.com forward slash session three zero four also if you haven't already please do me a favor, leave a rating or a review on iTunes. You can just go to iTunes, leave a quick rating. You rate it and leave a one to two sentence review. That will be amazing. It'll take you a minute and a half. Also, I get a lot of emails asking about how, they can, how you can help support the podcast. Everybody says, I love the podcast so much. Let me know if there's anything I can do to help. There is one thing you can do to help. Share this with your friends. Share it on social media. Share it you know, in email. However you want to do it. Tag me in the post. Just share it out there. Get it out to the drumming community. Get it out. Because I think other people than, than drummers can listen to this as well. Maybe not all of it. But uh, but just share it out. Let it, let it get out there. And that's the one way that you can absolutely help. So if you are looking for a way to help out the cause, that's a way to do it. Share it. Sound good? All right. Until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening, and I will be talking to you soon. Peace.